Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Terry Toppler, and this is the podcast extension for ROI show 532nd. Our guest today is Dr. John Barton, Senior Research Fellow of Campion Hall, Oxford University, who will be talking to us about the Word, how we translate the Bible, and why it matters. The history buff joining us is Rick Sweet. Rick, you get to start us off. Thanks, Terry. Uh, John, uh, why is it important to to know about how the Bible is uh, translated? What what is the consequence? Uh, what your book your book is about? You know the translation and yeah. why it matters. Why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because um, well, it matters obviously that a text should be translated accurately. Um, but uh, also, um, it's important for people to recognize that when we read the Bible, we nearly all read it in translation. Uh, the Bible wasn't written in English, um, and um, uh, it's uh, important to know that every Bible we pick up, unless we have the original languages, which very few people do, is a translation, and that means that Sometimes uh, what a word means is uncertain, or the translation may not give exactly the right feel or flavor to the passage that's being translated. Sometimes, for example, people will quote the words of Jesus as, as an authority, which they are for Christians, but they will quote them as though the exact wording of the English was authoritative. Well, the exact wording of the English, of course, is a human translator's best efforts at translating what the Greek of the Gospels means. And we have to remember the Greek of the Gospels in the sayings of Jesus will be a translation of what Jesus said in Aramaic. So um, although we can say we get a very good impression of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, we can't take an individual verse in English and say exactly that wording is authoritative for the Church. That's quite a large consequence, just of realizing the Bible we have is always a translation, and therefore subject to the same problems that all translations have to face. Yes, um, John, I'd like to talk a little bit more. You mentioned in the last uh, segment about the King James Version, and uh, briefly Mm -hmm. how that came about. How many translations in English are there today, and are there some that are more popular than others, and why? Hmm. I, sh- I mean, the King, the King James Version was um, an attempt to settle uh, the fact that there were many, there were several English translations circulating, and King James wanted to get everybody together to agree on a particular version. Well, in a sense, he succeeded because the King James became an absolute classic, partly because it's such ex- excellently written English of, of its time. Um, but it still, it wasn't definitive because you could never have a definitive translation, all alternatives. And that fact means that nowadays there are a very large number of, I don't know how many English translations there are on the market, but it must run into hundreds, I think. Uh, very often they don't differ from each other very much. Uh, but of course, if a new version of the Bible comes out, the publishers say, this is an amazingly new version, it's like you've never seen before, because they want to sell books. Mm-hmm. Um, but very often there's not uh, a lot of difference. But there are there, there, there are two traditions in English. So one is to take the King James Version and update it, 
which is what gave us the revised standard version of the Bible and recently a revision of that, which sounds a bit like King James, but is a modernized. And then the other tradition is to try and translate the Bible from scratch. And that's been done in the Jewish uh, community by Robert Alter in a wonderful translation of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and there are things like the Jerusalem Bible and the New American Bible in the Catholic uh, tradition, which again start by translating the Bible as though it's never been done before, which can produce some very interesting revelations of phrases you thought you knew, but turn out to mean perhaps something other than what you thought they meant. So there are those two sorts, but there are very large numbers. Whereas, of course, in some languages, um, there's only one translation, or there isn't yet a translation at all. Hmm. So English is over-well-served with Bibles. Mm-hmm. John, uh, uh, in your uh, studied and professional opinion, not to put you on the spot or to to destroy any any Bible vendor sales. What version, in your <laughs> mind, is the most authentic, the most reliable, uh, and most um, fidel? Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm often asked that question, which is, which is the best translation of the Bible? And, and the answer is that there is no answer. Because <laughs> um, when you're looking for a good Bible, you have, or a good translation of anything, you have to ask, what is it for? Now, um, a, a version like Eugene Peterson's The Message, which some people may know, is a very, very distant paraphrase of the Bible, and yet, for people who have never read the Bible before at all, it may be the ideal way in. Um, at the other extreme, if you ask for something that captures the stateliness and dignity of the original Bible, then King James and the versions of the Alphabet are the best. But there isn't one best Bible because there can't be a best possible translation of any text at all, of any book. Um, there are always only possible versions. Preferences among them. Um, I like the Jerusalem Bible series, which, which is a Catholic product. Um, and is in genuinely modern English. And I like the Rise Standard Version, which is now dying out, but was produced in the 50s, 1950, which is a sort of King James, sounds like King James, but where King James doesn't make much sense because the translators couldn't understand the text. It, it does make sense, so that's a very good one. Um, but those are preferences of two different kinds. But there is no one best Bible. And I'm afraid any one that comes on the market will still not be the best possible Bible because you can't have a best possible translation of anything. I thought I'd ask you anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> That's right. so, John, we've been talking mostly about uh, translations of text. So, what about the unique problems with translating poetry and songs? Mm-hmm. Well, that, of course, is. is is very difficult because, um, well, if anybody's ever tra- attempted translation, if you have a piece of narrative, a piece of prose, telling a story, you can probably translate it from another language. If you try to translate a poem, you're faced with all kinds of worse difficulties. And the same is true of Hebrew uh, in the Old Testament. Um, and um, the 
only thing is that um, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme normally, and it doesn't have um, necessarily the same uh, pattern of stresses and so on that English poetry does. It's much looser, and sometimes you can't tell as a modern reader whether the piece is really verse or prose. But that makes translation always a bit easier in some ways, because many of the things that make it poetry in Hebrew can be transmitted in English. Mm-hmm. One of the things is that if you read one of the Psalms, you'll often find that in a particular verse, that the second half of the verse repeats the first half with different words. Um, and that, of course, you can catch in English, because we have a lot of synonyms where you can um, play with the same idea twice, isn't there? Um, but um, it is very difficult to translate poems. Whether there are any poems in the New Testament, nobody can quite agree. Um, some people think that the, the beginning of St. John's Gospel, in the beginning was the word, is a kind of poem. Uh, it's certainly not a piece of narrative. But um, there's no real decision about that as yet. But there's no doubt that translating verse is much harder than translating prose. John, the, uh, we've been uh, focusing, it uh, seems, on the Old Testament. Is the yeah. translation of the New Testament easier than mm-hmm. uh, the ancient texts that support the Old Testament? Well, it probably is a bit, because um, the kind of... I mean, the New Testament in Greek, which um, we have masses and masses of texts in Greek in the ancient world, so we've often got comparisons that we can't work out what the word means. So often other... Uh, books and texts that the word occurs in outside the Bible that you can look at. And dictionaries help with that. Um, Hebrew, uh, I mean, the, the, the Old Testament is all we have of ancient Hebrew, more or less. And that's, although it's long, it's not a very large corpus of texts in the sense of it's not a very large collection of texts to be all we have in that language. And so it's harder if you find a word that's obscure, you haven't got much you can compare with to try and find out what it might mean. There are lots of words in the, in the Hebrew Bible which occur only once, and you have to work out from the context what they mean. Whereas in the New Testament, that's pretty rare. So I think it is easier translating the New Testament than the Old. John, can you talk a little bit about how digi- the digital age has affected Bible translation? Has it made it easier or more complicated? Mm. I think it's made it easier because um, at, a, at a, a, a stroke you can look at dozens of verses of the Bible on the switch screen um, and scroll through them and that kind of thing. Plenty of things, if you, if you Google um, uh, any version, modern version of the Bible, you'll find it's there on, on the internet and you can call up a particular verse you want to look at and you can get it up in 20, 30 different versions and have a look at it. You can get the original text in Hebrew or Greek on your, on your computer screen. That's an enormous uh, uh, asset for anyone doing translation. You don't have to flick back and forth all the time or have the room piled with different versions. So um, I think it's been positive. Um, I don't think it really has any obvious negatives about it. Um, I mean, you, you can get bewildered with the number of versions you can consult. 
And sometimes people would despair and say, well, you know, I've looked at 20 verses, they're also something slightly different. How can I have any assurance that the biblical text has a meaning at all? <laughs> but that's uh, understandable, but it's exaggerated. Um, and in the, all the versions will say more or less the same thing in most cases. Um, but you can't get the rule about being able to see so many. Well, we would... Apart from that, I think it's a very positive yeah. thing. Well, we would like to thank our guest for the 532nd show, Dr. John Barton, Senior Research Fellow of Campion Hall, Oxford University, who talked to us about the Word, how we translate the Bible, and why it matters. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at tunein.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at soundcloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search. Click on the first icon and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. And you can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.